If you don't have it, it should be up on the screen this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. You can see it right over here at our Connect table. That's free of charge to you. We'd love for you to have the Word of God in your house. John 4, if you've got it, say, I'm there. All right, let's pick up in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, so it's kind of like Jesus heard that the Pharisees heard, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, and he and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, and she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Shots fired. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is coming from the Jews, referring to himself. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back, and they marveled that He was talking with a woman but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that, the sewer, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Get this, don't miss this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. You see right here, Jesus is entering into this town called Samaria, and and actually it's just a, a region, and Jesus just happens to be passing through. He's on his way to Galilee, and it says that as he's traveling, he stops by this well, and it just so happens that there is a woman here at this well, and Jesus is recalling to her, he says, no, 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 you don't have any husbands, but you've had five. You've been with five different men over the course of your lifetime. And then he does something very specific that we often see Jesus do, but he starts talking about this harvest. He starts talking about this harvest, and he points to his disciples, and he says, look out here. Here is this harvest that you see. Look at this harvest. Look at, look at the fields. They're ripe. They're ready. They're producing. You see, Jesus, as he's talking about this harvest, he's, he's talking about something that would have been highly valuable to his disciples, highly valuable to his culture here. And he says, look out here, look at the harvest, it's ripe, it's ready. And later on we see in Luke 15 where Jesus talks about this, uh, this harvest. He talks about it like it's this, this lost coin. And he talks about the, the, this harvest like it's this, um, like this sheet that's went on a stray. And then he even goes as far to say the harvest is like a lost son. Jesus, as he's referring to this harvest here, he's talking about people who don't have a relationship with God. He says, look out here, look at how vast it is. Look at at how ripe it is, look at how ready it is, look at how valuable it is to our culture. He says, look at it. And he's referring to and he's talking about the people who do not yet have a relationship with him, who are not yet followers of Christ. And we too would, would call these people Lost people or unbelievers, you might have heard it referred to as that. You see, over the last two weeks, we've been in this new series called the Blueprint Series, and we've been talking about things that we value as a church. If you want to know who we are as a church, and you want to know what we value as a church, who we are and what direction we're headed in, last week we started this brand new series called Blueprint. We're going to be in it for the next four weeks after today. And we're just talking about the things that we value as a church. Last week, we talked about our number one value being the gospel. But besides 
the good news of Jesus. We value his kingdom. And so that affects the way that we operate with a lot of the churches that are in our area. We're not competing against other churches. As a matter of fact, we're working together. We're working with First Baptist Goose Creek. We're working with Journey Goose Creek. We're working with Church at Cane Bay. And if it weren't for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, perhaps we as a church wouldn't even be here because it was Church at Cane Bay that sent us out. And so we value the kingdom. And so that's what we talked about last week. One of the things that we're going to talk about today is how we as Creekside Church, we value the harvest. We value people that are far from God. Jesus valued people that were far from him, and he was seeking after them, and so do we. Creekside Church values people that are far from God. And let me just tell you a little bit about our city, the city that I call home, the city that many of you call home, the city of Goose Creek right now. If you were to draw a five-mile circle around this school, going in any direction, it's a population of 95,000 people, 95,000. And the, project, the projections show that in the next two to three years, our circle of, of a five-mile radius will actually grow to 104,000 people. 104,000 people. Like, you don't think about that as you're driving, like, here from, from here today, but 104,000 people live in any direction of our five-mile little circumference. And of that population, 70% have no religious affiliation whatsoever. 70% of our city has no religious affiliation at all. That means that hundreds, thousands of people woke up this morning and didn't have any church that they attended, didn't have any God this morning that they woke up and they worshipped, much less Jesus. 70% of our city, 70%. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. Maybe you're a neighbor my neighbor, maybe your coworker, my coworker, maybe your family member, woke up this morning without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here in this passage, as Jesus has got his disciples huddled around him, and he's pointing out to this harvest, he says, you see the harvest, it's ripe, it's ready, it's valuable. He's likening this to people who don't know him. And he's saying, this is valuable to me and this is where my heart is, is in the harvest. And Creekside Church, as long as we exist, as long as we're meeting here in this building and as long as we exist as a church, we will value loving people that are far from God. We will value this 70%. We will do everything that we possibly can to reach this 70% of Goose Creek people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. So let me, let me prove it to you. Let me, let me show you exactly what I'm talking about here this morning. If, you, if you're following along in John chapter 4, look there in the, in the very beginning, okay? Let me, let me prove to you exactly what I'm talking about and prove to you why we believe that Jesus values lost people. It says in the very beginning, now... He had to pass through. He's leaving Judea and he's, he's leaving for Galilee. If you can imagine, Judea is in, the, is in the south and Galilee is up in the top. And so he has, to, he has to pass through Samaria. He has to pass through. If he wants to get to Galilee, he has to go here. And it says in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Well, if you know anything about this culture, no, he didn't. 
He didn't have to pass through Samaria. And as a matter of fact, most Jewish people in this context and in this culture, they would not pass through Samaria. They would go around the region. They would go around. They would go on the outskirts of the town. And if they passed through Samaria, if they passed through this region, it was with their heads down, not talking to anybody, not looking at anybody, because the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They weren't friends. Like, they weren't hanging out on the weekend. They did not get along at all. And this uh, took place hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even arrived on the scene where the Jewish people uh, were at, even at war and even in hostility with the Samaritans, with this region, it was believed that the Jewish people were, were the, the, kind of the, purish, uh, the pure Jewish people. They were the pure blood, so to speak. Both ancestors were Jewish, but the Samaritans were not so. It was as if the Jewish people had, uh, had slept with, with, quote, the infidels, and they had children and posterity that were Samaritans. And, and this group, they grew to hate each other. The purebloods versus the ones who weren't exactly uh, full-blooded Jewish people. And so they hated each other, constantly in conflict. So I find it interesting, in John chapter 4, verse 4, it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Well, no, he didn't. Jesus is moving here with purpose. Jesus is moving with a very specific purpose, and not only does he do something that is culturally taboo, he talks to a Samaritan, he talks to a Samaritan woman, which is also very culturally taboo. Men didn't talk to women that they weren't married to, that they weren't family with. It was this uh, very macho way of, uh, of living, this very uh, uh, anti-women uh, anti-women and not wanting to, to talk to women, believing that they were lower in culture, believing that they had a lower status. Men didn't talk to women, especially Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women. And so whenever it says that he had to pass through Samaria, well, he had to pass through Samaria, but he did so with an intent. He did so with a purpose in mind. Jesus is moving with purpose. He went with purpose. Let's keep going on a little bit further. He's, he's moving with purpose. Okay, you, you see that he's, he's got intent. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's wanting to talk to this Samaritan woman. And as he gets into this conversation with her, it becomes very, very clear that she's not religious at all. Like she's not religious. She doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. She doesn't even know that Jesus is Jesus. She refers to him and says, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive that you are a religious person. And in this conversation with Jesus, she starts this conversation saying, okay, well, tell me about this living water. He says, I have living water. And if you were to take of this water, you would never thirst again. And she says, sir, give me this living water. And then he says, go and call your husband and we can talk about this. And then that's where the conversation goes south a little bit, right? He says, go and call your husband. She says, oh, well, um, you see, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And he's cutting right to the core of who she is. You see, this lady, she's had five husbands. And in this day and in this culture, that's dishonorable. Even today, that's kind of dishonorable. If you know a lady who has five husbands, your first thought of her is going to be, okay, well, maybe she didn't do marriage well. And so Jesus is having this conversation with her, and he's saying, no, 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 I, I perceive that something much deeper is going on here. And as he's talking to her, it becomes 
very evident that this lady has moved on from guy after guy after guy after guy, not just because it didn't work out, but because she's looking for something to satisfy her soul. She's looking for something that will satisfy her, looking for something that will bring to her fulfillment in her life. And Jesus hears this conversation. He knows exactly what's going on in her life. And he says, no, no, no. If if you were to follow me, I have water for you and you will never thirst again. And he's saying to her, if you were to follow after me, I have something for you, eternal life, that you will never need to look for anything else to satisfy you again. And so Jesus is talking with purpose here. He's talking with purpose. He's getting right to the heart of the matter. And she starts talking in this weird way. She says, no, 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 Jesus, you know, if my, my fathers say that we need to worship on this mountain and your, grand, your great-grandfathers, they say that we need to worship in Jerusalem. Where do we need to worship? Jesus says, no, 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 it's not where you worship, it's who you're worshiping. I don't care where you worship. I don't care where your grandfathers say that you need to worship. I don't care where... They say that we need to worship in Jerusalem. He cuts right to the core and says, no, it's not where you worship, it's who you worship. What if we in our conversations, what if we got to the true intent of what what the person was looking for? Do you have friends in your life who you know are just searching for something? How many times does your conversations actually make it back to Jesus? How many of your conversations make it back to the gospel? Or do you say, no, no, I perceive that you're searching for something. You see, Jesus didn't say to this woman, yeah, you're exactly right. Let's lock arms and let's go up to this mountain and let's worship. No, 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 he said, I perceive that you're looking for something to satisfy you. I am he, I am what you are looking for. So many times we try to lock arms with people and say, come to church and worship with me. But really, they don't need to come to church. They need Jesus Christ. And sometimes one doesn't lead to the other. So Jesus is moving with purpose and he's talking with purpose. And, and he's talking about this living water. He says to the woman at Samaria, if you're looking for living water, I am that living water. And if you drink of this, you will, not sat- you will be satisfied and you will no longer look for anything else. And then as he's moving on, verse 28, pick up there with me. It says, so the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. You see, the food that fed Jesus, the thing that gave Him purpose, was this very conversation with the woman at the well. And He's talking to His disciples here, and they come back and they say, Rabbi, you need to eat. And Jesus says, no, 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 I don't need to eat. I'm fed by doing the will of God. And it seems as if, The will of God was having this very conversation with this woman at this moment and this time in her life. You see, what Jesus was doing was he was living with purpose. He went with purpose. He taught with purpose. But in this all-encompassing moment, he says, this is what I came to do. I came to talk to people who were far from God 
This is why I came. I came for this woman at the well. You see, oftentimes we think about Jesus and all the great things that he did. And mainly we go straight to the cross and we go straight to the moments of the resurrection. And we forget about the things that he did while he was on earth and while he was in his ministry. And one of the very things that he did in his ministry was reach out to people just like this, broken, looking for something desperate for good news, desperate for fulfillment, desperate for satisfaction. And he gathers all the disciples around, and they're probably thinking, okay, we need to move on. We've got to get past this. And Jesus stops them in this midst of this moment, and he says, no, 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 this is why I came. This is why I came. I came here for people like the woman at the well. I came here for people who have had five husbands. I came here for people who want to talk about worshiping in this mountain or that mountain, who don't even want to cut to the core of the matter. I came for her. And you see, his disciples just don't understand it. They don't get what Jesus is trying to say. And so Jesus is explaining to them in this moment. He says to them, I came for her. So Jesus went with purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he taught with purpose, cutting right to the core of the matter And then he lived with purpose. But that's not all that we see. We also see this lady's reaction. We see that her life is is forever changed. One, look with me right there in verse 27. See what happens to her life. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar. I don't know about you this morning, but that's so refreshing to me. The woman left her jar after this conversation with Jesus. Can you imagine somebody that you know being far from God, having a gospel-centered conversation in Walmart this afternoon with with a buggy full and just leaves everything, leaves the buggy, leaves the groceries that they've Encounter leaves it all and says, I've got to go home. I've got good news on my heart. Can you imagine that happening? Well, that's exactly what's happening here. In this passage, this woman, she's come face to face with living water, and she realizes she doesn't need that other water anymore. And this is kind of symbolic as she's leaving her jar. This is very symbolic that she's leaving that lifestyle behind. She's found fulfillment. She's found satisfaction. She's leaving it all behind because she's left her jar here. She's so filled with joy that she goes away and she even forgets something as fulfilling as water. You see, it wasn't often that you would go and get water. You see, this, this water here, it's in, the, it's in this well in this middle of town. It was work. It was labor intensive. And so it wasn't just easy for you to go and grab water, but this lady, she does it, and she has this conversation with Jesus, and she leaves her very bucket. But not only does she do that, it says that she goes back to the town. She goes back into this town, and and she says, Look, I want to tell you about this man. Come and listen to this man who told me everything that I ever did. In verse 39, it says that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
You see, this woman, after she left her bucket, after she left her jar, she went back into town and she starts telling all the townspeople, listen, the Messiah, he's here. This man, you need to come and listen to him. He just told me everything that I ever did. He told me about this living water. And she tells her entire village this. And it says that the entire village believed because of her testimony. Don't you find that interesting? That as he's got the disciples there, He doesn't gather all of his disciples and then send them to the village. This lady here with no qualification, who's not really a follower of Jesus in the sense that the other disciples would have been. She's not Peter, she's not James, she's not John. She's got not much of an education here. As a matter of fact, she's been with five men. In some sense, in the church today, we would probably call this lady disqualified. But Jesus is go. Just go. And is it possible that the lady here has a better testimony for the village than the disciples do? And she says, come and listen, let me tell you everything that this, this man, he, he told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? You see, there's something beautiful about whenever somebody becomes converter, whenever they become a disciple in Christ, Jesus sends them right back out into wherever they came from. And that's exactly what happened here in this passage. This lady with no qualification that we would have found, this lady with no education, she goes back and the whole village believes because of her testimony. Like, isn't this incredible? Believed in Jesus because of the testimony of this lady who had been with five different men. You see, there's something beautiful about the story. There's something beautiful that she was the best missionary possible for this village. And Jesus Christ, He comes and they believe. And there's something beautiful about this picture. My question for you this morning is very simple. Who's your woman at the well? Who is that for you? You see, Jesus moved with purpose and knew that she was going to be there at this time. Knew that she needed to hear good news come out of his mouth. Proclaimed to her the good news of this living water. And he says, if you were to follow after this living water, you would never thirst again. Who's the woman of the well in your life? Maybe a better question would be this. If God answered every single one of your prayers from this week, who would be added into his kingdom? Who would be celebrating today? If God answered every single one of your prayers from this past week, where you where you prayed, and I'm hoping that you did pray, but if he answered every single one of those prayers, how many people would be added into his kingdom if he were to answer them? One, two, is your mind thinking that way? Is your mind thinking through the lens of missional living? Is your mind thinking about moving through, through, this, through this area, through this passage in the same way that Jesus did, where you're moving with intent, where you're talking with intent, where you're living with, in, with intent, you have a purpose for what you're doing? Does that ever register with you? 
Does it ever register with you that the neighbors that you sleep beside where you rest your head do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it ever something that you think about, that neighbor that maybe you're having a hard time with, that coworker that maybe you're having a hard time with? Listen, you've been put where you've been put because you're a missionary. He's put you there for a reason. So it breaks my heart whenever I hear stories about like this in the, in the scriptures. And Are you too good to hang out with lost people? Are you too busy to make time for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you only hanging out with Christians? 70% is a big number. 70% is huge. You see, it wasn't too long ago that I had a friend named Josh, and Josh... Uh, was a, a great friend of mine. He's actually overseas now. And I, I spent two years praying for Josh. Two years in a friendship with Josh. Two years of coffees. Two years of date nights at his house. I would sit down with him at, uh, at dinner and I would even feel weird about praying. You can ask his wife and my wife. I would even feel weird. Like, okay, is it cool if I pray? Are you going to like flip out if I try and pray? And she's like, sure, you know, it's fine. Do whatever you need to do. And every single time we would hang out, it would be this constant fresh reminder in my life that Josh was far from God but close to me. You see, I spent two years hanging out with him. He would even come to church. He would come to missional communities. And we even got to the point where we could have gospel-centered conversations for a long time. And it would always get to that point where he would say, I just don't believe, man. I believe there's something out there, but I don't believe it's God. You see, I prayed for Josh for two years, prayed for him, begging God, would you open his eyes, would you save him, would you, would you give him faith? And you see, finally one day, I, I made a resolution. I made a resolution with God. I said, God, and it was October 2017, I said, Lord, I'm going to pray every single day this month that you would open Josh's eyes. I'm going to pray every single day this month, and I'm going to write his name in my journal. I even contacted my brother. I said, you know, hey, I, I know it doesn't mean much to you. I know you probably don't, you know, you don't know this guy, but I'm going to pray for him every single day this month, and I'm going to ask you to do the same. And so we did. We prayed for him. I would wake up in the middle of the night, and just for whatever reason, it would be on my mind and my heart, and I'd pray for Josh. I'd wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. before I even started reading the scriptures, and I would think about how he was far from God. And I prayed for him for 30 days straight. And then at the very end of those 30 days, he gave me a, a phone call. He said, hey, I need to see you tonight. Hopefully you know where I'm going with the story. He says, hey, I need to see you tonight. And so we got coffee right down here at, at Bigby Coffee. And I'll never forget walking into Bigby, knowing exactly what was probably about to happen. And he sits me down and he says, you, we, we got to talk. And he tells me about what had happened the day before while he was at work. He said that he had just been wrestling with, with something that he wouldn't have even called Jesus, something that it wouldn't have even been called God. He just felt like he was wrestling with something. And for whatever reason, as he was in his truck that day, he said he felt like he had the urge or he needed the urge to pray. He said, I just need to pray. Never done it before in his life as far as I know. 
And so right there in his truck, he prayed and he said these words. He said, Jesus, he said, I feel like you're stirring in my heart. I don't know you, but I feel like you're near for the very first time in my life. And he said it wasn't audible. It wasn't this, this audible voice, but he just felt this spirit over him where he felt like somebody speaking back to him saying, I've been here the whole time. And Josh became a believer in Jesus Christ that day. But here's the best part of the story. Here's the best part, and I promise you, it, it doesn't get much better than this. I will never forget the day that Josh became a believer in Jesus, but I will also never forget the day where Josh texted me. He said, hey, I'm, I'm with my troops. I'm over here overseas. What do you think would be a good passage to take these guys through? What passages would you recommend that we read through here? Josh is now on mission. Who's your Josh? Who's your woman at the well? You see, we never see an instance where Jesus passes back through Samaria with intent. We never see another story of a Samaritan who comes to faith in Christ. This was a one-time deal, and as he's passing through, we just see the one. This one lady. And then this one lady goes and she tells her entire village. Who's your one? This morning we're going to do something very different. I'm going to ask the band to come up on stage. We're going to do something very different that we did in our launch team whenever we started, but we're going to do again this morning. I need you to lock in with me for just a few seconds here, if you would. This is what we're about. As a church, we exist to see these statistics change. But the stats never change unless we're on mission, personally. Your ones, your twos, your threes, they will never hear the good news of Jesus unless they hear it from your mouth. This is real. We're talking about eternity in the balance here. And I need you this morning, I need you to see the harvest. I need you to see the woman at the well. I need you to see these people that are in your life that are desperate this morning for good news. And so what we're going to do this morning is I, we've concocted a nice little board here. And in this next few minutes, in this next time, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. And I want you to come here and I want you to write the names of those who are far from God but close to you. And it's as simple as that. I want you to write these names down. And I would like for you to go back to your seat and I want you to pray for those names. Now for some of you, you might ask, okay, do I need to write their, their real name? Can I write a code name? Does I need to write the full name? I don't care what you do. You know and God knows who they are. But we're going to have this board right here on display this morning. We're going to have it with us over the next few weeks just as reminders just as a constant reminder, a fresh reminder that there are people who live outside of this who are searching for something. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, as the band starts to play, I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're serious about this, would you come write names, write one name, write two names, three names, whatever it is, if they're far from God but close to you. And just as simple as that, just write their names. Go back to your seat. And I want you to pray for them. Will writing their names save them? No. 
Will praying for them save them? Could probably bring them closer. But ultimately, what has to happen is you have to be sent. Where you intentionally say, hey, let's have coffee. Hey, let's have dinner. Let's just stay out in the, in the front yard and throw, throw cornhole. It has to happen with you speaking good news into their life. It's saying, hey, I've got this living water for you. Come taste and never be thirsty again. I'm going to challenge you this morning, especially if you're a partner. You see, as a partner, we, we especially hold this very seriously. And so I'm going to ask you to, to move out of your seat. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that you would just come and do this. Write a name, write one name, two names. It could be a code name, whatever it is. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But we ask that you would respond in this way. And then just as simple as that, go back to your seat and pray for those names. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, this morning we've stand and stood and we've, we've sing about a well that would never run dry. We've talked about water that satisfies our soul. Lord, let this be fresh in our hearts and in our minds right now that we have neighbors that are destined and headed to life apart from you forever. That should cause us to weep right now. Lord, we have neighbors who are just like the woman at the well who are desperate for good news, desperate for living water, moving from thing to thing to thing to try and satisfy them. And you moved through the village of Samaria and now you have called us to move through the village of Goose Creek. Moving with purpose, talking with purpose, and living with purpose. Lord, I, I don't know what's going to come from this. I know that some will be challenged, but I pray. Lord, I pray for one or maybe two, maybe even three people that would take this very seriously this morning. They would be charged to speak the gospel. Jesus, we ask that you have your will and your way this morning. We pray for the names that will be written. And we pray that we have boldness to speak that gospel to them. Jesus, we ask for something fresh in our city that only you can get the credit for. And we ask this in your name. Amen.